We're now going to hear from the New Testament from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 19. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing from it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, King of kings, Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hopes in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up a treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Here ends the reading. Well, good morning. My name's Rick, and it's great that you can join us uh, on the live stream today. Today, we are having our uh, topical talk on the topic of money and what God has to say to us about money and our attitudes to it and what we do with it. And we're going to be using that passage from 1 Timothy chapter 6 to do that. And so I encourage you to have that open as we're looking at it together now. And also to have any questions that might come up as we're looking at this, whether from the passage or on the topic of money and the things that I'm saying. And there is a, a number that you can text any questions into, and we'll have a question time at the end of the sermon together. So make sure you make the most of that. But let's pray as we come to look at God's word together again now. Heavenly Father, um, money is such a significant part of our lives. And often it also holds such a, a strong hold on our hearts. And so we ask that today you will help us to put money in its proper perspective so that we can love you with all our mind, our soul, our heart and our strength. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John Wesley, the English preacher and evangelist, said that the last part of a man to be converted to Jesus is his wallet. Now, whether that's 
always true or not, it does speak to an important understanding that our money and or our attitude to money is a significant spiritual issue. That is, our wallets do need to be converted. Jesus said, you cannot serve both God and money. But as I've been thinking about this topic, it seems to me that the topic of money or the area of money is one where Christians most commonly disbelieve God. We most commonly distrust what God has to say to us when it comes to the topic of money. You know, as I was thinking about this topic, I had thought that I would speak today about the importance of being committed to costly generosity, to being generous even when it costs us. And Jesus does tell us that if we're going to follow him, then we need to count the cost of that. And that includes in financial things, that when we follow Jesus, our wallet follows him too. And, and recognising, I guess, that there will be costs in that. It'll, it'll mean giving up some things, some financial goals, changing what we spend our money on. And so if we're committed to counting the cost of following Jesus, then that should mean being committed to generosity, even when it costs us. But as I've been reading this passage in 1 Timothy 6, I've begun, begun to realise that it actually teaches the opposite of that. That is, that being ungenerous is what's really costly. And in fact, it's dangerous. And on the other hand, that there is great gain in godly contentment and generosity when it comes to financial things. Did you get that? There is great gain in godly contentment and generosity but being ungenerous and wanting to be rich, that's what's costly and dangerous. That's what this passage teaches us. But I wonder right from the beginning whether we believe it. Because it does go against what we naturally think. And so I guess you could say it's the reverse economics of costly generosity. And the challenge for us today is going to be simply... Are we going to trust what God has to say about this? Are we going to believe it? And you notice in the first verse that it kind of introduces this idea for us that in verse 6 it says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. And so what I want to do is I just want to have a look at how this passage shows us that that is the case. And the first point that it's going to make for us is that godliness with contentment is great gain because it guards against the desires of riches. Sorry, guards against the dangers of desiring riches. That's the real cost, it says. It comes from wanting to be rich. Let me read from verse 9. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now, at one level, as we read that, we, we kind of instinctively know the truth of it, right? We, we know the traps and the temptations and the harm that can come from desiring, from wanting to be rich, that it can ruin lives for ourselves and for others, that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. 
It can be so harmful. It can cause so much destruction. Like when gambling addiction ruins lives and homes and families. And I've seen that up close and, and it's terrible. Or when bribery makes people turn a blind eye to injustice. Or maybe a little bit closer to home, it's, it's when the, the, the dollar signs, you know, flashing in our eyes like in the cartoons, when, when the financial opportunity is what's driving the decisions that we make for a job or for some investment opportunity and the cost that maybe we don't see to begin with, the cost is relationships or, or harm to others. It's all too common to hear of people who pursue a financial goal, they say, for the sake of their family, to provide for their family, but at the cost of their family. Or to hear of people who achieve the, the lifestyle that they have been hoping for, but find no satisfaction in it because along the way, it's led to loneliness and broken relationships. Or even just when wanting more breeds a lack of contentment because the goalposts of satisfaction keep moving further and further away. Desiring riches can be so destructive. And the truth of these words have been played out countless times in countless lives. And so at one level, we know the truth of it. We see it happening. But I suspect even as we talk about it now, we usually only recognise it or acknowledge it in extreme cases or in you know, other people and not in our own kind of middle class examples of it. It's only a problem for, for, for over there and not for ourselves. But even more than those dangers and those destructive outcomes of desiring wealth, more importantly, we're told here of the spiritual dangers of wanting to be rich. You see it in verse 10. Some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith. You know, without that bit in verse 10, I wonder if this could just be a really useful you know, community seminar on the social and personal destructiveness of greed. You know, it's bad for you and for the people around you. That could be the byline. But this cost is far more significant, wandering away from trusting Jesus. Because as I said at the beginning, our attitude to money is first and foremost a spiritual issue. And Jesus gave this warning again and again. Now, I've not done the maths, but I've heard it said that Jesus' teaching about money makes up about 25% of his teaching. That's quite a lot. That's how significant this is. Jesus knew that the love of money was a dangerous spiritual problem. It's the love of money that turns people's hearts cold to God because we cannot serve both God and money. And so, as it says in verse 10, some people, eager for money, have wandered away from the faith. And, you know, I've known people who've done exactly this, and maybe you have too. It, it doesn't happen instantly. And even if it doesn't always lead to kind of an outright rejecting of Jesus, what it often does is it turns faith into empty religion. And 
it robs you of the joy of faith because it will slowly change where I try to find joy and what I have my, my, my trust and my confidence in, what I hope for, what I base my choices on. And I'll wonder if this is why so many Christians often lack joy and contentment in trusting Jesus. Because we say that we're looking for it over here in Jesus, but actually we're looking for it over here in material security and comfort and and wealth. And so I wonder if our problem is simply that we're trying to do exactly what Jesus says is impossible. You cannot serve both God and money, and we think that we can. And so what it comes down to really is, do I believe what God is saying to me at this point? God is telling me one thing and the world is telling me something else. Who do I believe? Do I believe that there is great harm and cost in wanting to be rich? That's the question that we need to ask ourselves. Or we're just going to end up trying and failing to hold on to both. Loving money and wanting to be rich, that's what's costly. It's destructive and harmful And it leads us away from trusting Jesus. That's the sobering warning of the real cost of desiring wealth. And the second point that we see in this passage is that godliness with contentment is great gain because it focuses our hope on God as it puts money in its proper place. And you see that in verse 17. And notice that this is specifically addressed to the rich. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, before we look at what this says to the rich, I think the first thing we need to do is recognise that it's talking to us, that we are the rich. The the poor are those back in verse 8 who only have the the food and the clothes that they need the rich is us and i think it's easy to forget that because we live in such a wealthy country and such a wealthy time in history and we can always find people who have more than we do and point to them as being the rich but most of us have all the food we need all the clothes we need all the shelter that we need and more i remember a while ago i was talking to a friend of mine who'd been on holidays to fiji and while he was there, he was, he, he was talking to one of the locals there and he noticed that the guy was wearing a T-shirt that had a logo on it from some sports club back here in Australia that he recognised. And he said, hey, I, I, I know that shirt. That, that's a really cool shirt. I, I've seen that before. And the guy kind of looked down at his shirt as if he was seeing it for the first time and he went, oh, I hadn't noticed. It's just clothes. You know, we don't really pay much attention to what's written on it. We just wear what we can get. You know, for a massive number of people in the world, clothes are just for covering yourself and keeping yourself warm and protected from the sun and so on, and that's all. We are the rich. And the command to godliness for the rich, for us, is to put our hope in God and not in wealth. And the first part of of doing that is to put wealth in its proper place. 
and to recognise that wealth is an uncertain hope, as it says in verse 17. And sometimes we see that, right, when the uncertainty of wealth kind of shows itself to be true as the kind of empty treasure that it is. I remember someone I know, a friend of mine, who seemed to be completely have everything that he needed financially, set for life, you could say, until he lost his health. And it wasn't kind of life-threatening, not immediately anyway, but it was certainly lifestyle-threatening. You know, what, what he thought was set for life, all of a sudden, all he wanted was his health. And all the money that he had couldn't provide what he wanted. Wealth is an uncertain hope. Or again, I've known people who seemed to have all the money that they needed, but then things went bad financially one way or another, and they lost it. And so in that sense, their money was an uncertain hope. But, you know, even if we do get to the end of our life with good health and with all the money that we need, we're reminded back in verse 7 simply that we can't take it with us. Now, however much money we have, sorry, have a, let me read that, verse 7. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. Whether we're rich or poor, we're all going to end up in that same box at the end when we die. It's the same for all of us. And so in eternity, on the scope of eternity, which is what really matters, our brief encounter with wealth now, well, that's going to show itself to be the pile of rust and mothballs that it really is, de is destined to become. Wealth is an uncertain hope. But more importantly, putting our hope in wealth is robbing us, robbing ourselves of a better hope. As it says again in the end of verse 17, tell the rich to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Now, I've got to say, this is the bit that I personally find a real challenge. Because you know what I think? I think that money is what provides me with what I need for my enjoyment. You know, the good food, the holidays, the comfortable house, the fun experience. Isn't money what provides that for me? And I guess directly, those things often do come through money. But God is saying to us, no, even if money buys those things for you, they are not from money, they are from me. God is the one who provides those things for us. So don't put your trust in that. Don't put your hope in that. And when we think that money is what actually is giving us those things, and so we, we put our trust and our confidence in that, you know what that's called? Well, it's called idolatry. I mean, that's exactly what idolatry is. When we focus on and rely on and trust in and, and are devoted to the good things that God gives us rather than the God who gives them to us, that's idolatry. When we think that the immediate means of our enjoyment, in this case money, that that's the ultimate means of our enjoyment, that's idolatry. Because we focus on that and we rely on that and we love that. And not only is it idolatry, as I said, we're robbing ourselves of the real treasure because it distracts us from the secure and eternal hope that we have in God through Jesus. You know, life in all its goodness with the God who gives it to us. 
that cannot lose its joy or be taken away or diminished in any way, not even by death. Why would we want to settle for a second-rate hope that distracts us from that? I mean, what a poor substitute to settle for. That's God's first command to the rich here, to not settle for an insecure and uncertain hope that distracts us from our real hope in Jesus. And the second command in verse 18 there kind of really gives us a practical way for how to do this by being generous with the riches that God gives us. In fact, it commands us to do that. Let me read verse 18. Command them, that is, command the rich to do good, to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share. See, one of the ways to refocus ourselves away from wealth is just to not hold on to it too tightly and to not think this is mine that I worked hard for and to use for what I want. And so, you know, we put this label on our stuff, on our money, on our possessions that says mine and then we feel like a martyr every time we give some of it away. But instead, God tells us to think, no, this is the good gift of a generous God. How can I use it to be good and generous towards others? That's how I can refocus myself away from loving wealth and focus more towards God by being generous. You're generous in ways that does good towards others, you know, materially helping the poor in the name of Jesus and spiritually supporting things that help people to see Jesus and to trust Jesus and to know Jesus, supporting gospel work. Now, there's a bunch of things that I, that I could go on to say about these verses, and you might have some questions that you'd like to ask in question time, but I, but I just want to talk about some of the practical examples that I've seen in real life of people in different stages of life who've done exactly this kind of thing, who have been committed to this kind of generosity. So I think of the, the guy who just graduated from uni and got his first kind of full-time proper, you could say, job and had, a, as you'd expect, a massive increase in income at that point. But what he decided to do at that, at, at that change in, in life was that he would continue to live a student lifestyle financially so that he could be more generous with the extra money that he had. You're supporting missionaries, supporting his church, supporting welfare in the name of Jesus. That's one example. Another example I've seen is of retirees who were kind of at this stage of life where they were financially much more comfortable, much better off. But they decided to use that opportunity instead of, you know, like spending the next 10 or 20 years holidaying, they decided to use that opportunity to be generous in supporting the ministry of the gospel and, and caring for others with their financial means. Another example I've seen is of a, a family who had a reasonable income, but also fairly significant kind of household expenses, you could say. And so things were reasonably tight for them. But what they decided to do was just to be as deliberate as they possibly could with the money that they had. And so they sat down you know, with spreadsheets and with their budget and they trimmed and they tightened and they reorganised as much as they could so that they could be as generous as they could. 
And in the end, they didn't end up feeling like they were missing out at all. Uh, Fourth and final example is the teenager who got her first part-time job. And so all of a sudden actually had some income. And she decided that the first thing that she would do was to commit to giving some of that away. Every week, every month, giving away some of that new money that she'd uh, started to earn. Now those are just some examples of what it might look like to be deliberately aiming towards this kind of generosity. And you'll need to work out what that looks like for you. But all of it comes back to whether we're going to trust God and what he says about money. That's always what God wants from us, to trust him. So let me ask you, do you believe what God says about this? Do you believe that there is real danger in loving money and wanting to be rich? And on the other hand, do you believe that there is great gain in godly generosity and contentment. So am I going to trust God in this significant aspect of life? Or am I going to believe the advertising of what money can provide? Now, will being generous cost you financially? Yeah, of course it will. In a very literal sense, it will cost money. It'll mean giving up some things that you might otherwise have had, not doing some things that you might otherwise have done. But on the other hand, there is great gain in being committed to costly generosity because it helps us to fix our eyes on the life that is truly life so that we take hold of that now and that we live for that now. And that's something worth investing in. Let's pray that we will. Heavenly Father, we do recognise that We are prone to distrust what you have to say to us, even sometimes prone to distrust that you want what is good for us and that you love to give us good things. Father, we we do pray that first and foremost, you will be doing a work by your spirit in our hearts to give us such a trust in you and a confidence in you that we believe what you have to say to us in the area of money and that it will lead us to godly contentment and towards generosity, that we can be doing good and being such a blessing to the people around us. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.